Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, as Brian said, and I'm the church planting pastor of a new church in South Huntsville called Southside Presbyterian Church. And it's my great honor to get to open up God's Word with you this morning. In our church plant in South Huntsville, we've been studying the book of Acts together. God's been teaching us about church planting because we've never done this before. And so we have to learn. We're learning together. And God's been teaching us as we've been studying the book of Acts. And recently we've been in chapter 2. And the book of Acts is an amazing book because it starts out with Christianity, this tiny little group of about 120 people. So this small group in Jerusalem, in Israel. And then by the end of Acts, it's become international. And the Christian movement has become international. It's spread all over the Mediterranean, even to Rome. And Acts documents these things historically. How did the Christian movement take over the Mediterranean? How did this happen? Because it started as such a small group. And the person that wrote the book of Acts, his name is Luke, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus. And he wants to answer Theophilus's questions about Christianity and how it began. And a summary of Acts, you might say this is a summary, that the gospel of Luke, which Luke also wrote, is all about what Jesus did and taught. That's what Luke's gospel is about. And Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, it's all that Jesus continued to do. And all that Jesus continued to teach by the power of the Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is all about. All that Jesus continued to do and to teach through the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. And most recently, we've been studying repentance in our church plant. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 36 through 41 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And this part of Acts is in the middle of a speech by the apostle Peter. All these Jews have gathered for the Jewish feast of Pentecost. And Peter stands up and he gives this great speech to the Jews. And this is what he says. This is the end of his speech. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they, the Jews, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that in our flesh, in and of ourselves, we are ignorant about you and about ourselves and about how to live in the world. We're ignorant, Lord, and we need you to teach us in Jesus Christ by the power of your Spirit through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, everyone knows what it's like to have to be in the same room as someone that you're not, that you're not getting along with. Everyone knows what it's like to have to be in the kitchen with that person that you've had an argument with. And you're mad at them, you're angry, but you still have to make breakfast. Or you still have to live in the dorm room. Or you still have to go to the water cooler. I don't know if people still go to water coolers at work, but... Everyone knows what this is like to have to be in the same room with someone and there's a break in the relationship and you're in the same room, but your heart is turned away from that person. And I think the same sort of thing can happen with God, with our relationship with God. And the idea is that you can be in the same room with God, but your heart can be turned far away from him. And the prophets in the Old Testament, those of you who read the Old Testament, and the prophet Jeremiah, he describes this. And he said, this people honors me with their lips. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. The, the Israel was in the same room as God, but their hearts were turned far away. And if you've ever struggled with that in your life, if you've ever thought, I guess I'm in the same room as God, maybe, but my heart is really turned away from him. I hope this passage will be helpful to you. I hope it will be encouraging to you. This passage is all about repentance. This part of Peter's speech here at the very end, it's all about repentance. And repentance is how we grab hold of salvation. Salvation is this amazing thing that Jesus offers us. And repentance is how we take hold of it and grab it and get it. And enjoy all the blessings that Jesus has won for us. And this salvation is what Peter has laid out. The Apostle Peter in the book of Acts. In chapter 2 and many other chapters in the book of Acts. There's a lot of speeches. A lot of sermons that are preached in Acts. And they all have a lot of the same themes. They say a lot of the same things over and over again. And those themes are that Israel's hope has come. This is what the, the basic message of the apostles Israel's hope had come in Jesus Christ, that Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, had sent Jesus. God had sent Jesus to die. God had sent Jesus to rise from the dead and ascended to heaven. And God declared that Jesus is the Messiah. God declared that he's the Lord. And the power of Jesus is now present on the earth through the power of the Spirit. And the church now declares that everyone who repents can have their sins forgiven and have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've been studying these things in our church plan because in our church plan, we want to conform our message to the message of the apostles. We want our main thing to be the same main thing of the church in Acts. And that's why we've been studying these things. And so... It's forgiveness of sins and the spirit that we get through repentance. And this is why Peter emphasizes it. He says, be baptized and repent, each of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the spirit. And one another thing that we're trying to do in our church plant is to listen to our neighbors, to be curious about our neighbors. We don't want to just assume what they think and feel and what they do, but we want to be curious about them. And I think when we listen to our neighbors, many of them think this whole idea of repentance is too narrow-minded. It's oppressive. Uh, many people who even identify as Christians, you start using the R word the repentance word, and people get a little nervous. And they think, well, 
uh, I'm not too sure about this whole idea of repentance. It sounds oppressive and narrow-minded. And if this is you, if you think the idea of repentance sounds narrow-minded and oppressive, my point is not to exclude you. My point is to invite you to think a little bit more about this objection that Christians or people that talk about repentance, that's just oppressive. Because I think if you think about it for just a minute, it's actually pretty contradictory and inconsistent. And it's inconsistent, this view that repentance is oppressive. I don't want to be a part of that kind of Christianity. It's inconsistent, I think, because many of the people who would say repentance is narrow-minded and inconsistent, many of those same people want to publicly shame and ridicule and punish Christians who think that repentance is important. You see the contradiction there? They're saying, oh, the Christians, they're the oppressive ones. But uh, as they do so, the, the, the weight of their condemnation is so severe that they themselves become guilty of the thing that they don't like. They themselves become narrow-minded and intolerant. And they become more puritanical than the Puritans themselves. And my point, again, is not to, if that's you, and that, that's been your viewpoint, my, my goal is just to get you to be a little more honest about why you don't like repentance, what's really going on there. Maybe it's not that Christianity is too narrow-minded. Maybe you just can't stand the idea of having to turn your heart to God. Maybe the idea of changing your mind and turning your heart towards God and Jesus Christ terrifies you. You don't like that idea. Maybe that's why you don't like repentance. But Peter's speech here in Acts chapter 2 is towards people who are very religious, strictly religious. People who made a big deal about obeying God's law. Do you remember who Peter is giving this sermon to? Do you remember that? It's the Jews. The Jews who've gathered here for this Jewish feast of Pentecost, and they're very devout, and they're celebrating this Jewish feast. But Peter doesn't want to let them get off the hook because he says, Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Jews. You crucified him, religious people. You who say you love the law, you're all about obedience. Peter says you're the ones that crucified the Messiah. And Peter's anxious to, to get this across because it's the strictly religious people who have missed their own sin. People who are very, very religious, they tend to see sin in everybody else. Those people out there are the sinful, unclean people. Keep your distance. It's the strictly religious point of view. But there's no sin in me. I'm okay. That tends to be the strictly religious point of view. And that was the Jews' problem. And Peter puts it very pointedly and directly, you killed Jesus. And Jesus, of course, who was the most innocent person ever. Jesus always loved people. He loved the poor. Jesus always served people. No one was more innocent than Jesus Christ. But Peter says, you killed him. The man that God has appointed to be the Messiah. And Lord, you killed him. Why is Luke recording this? Well, what, what Luke wants us to see is that these are the people who repent. These are the same people that have a change of mind and they turn. And they're the ones that became the, the powerful nucleus by the Spirit that caused Christianity to spread all over the Mediterranean. It was these Jews who'd committed the worst sins in the world. They killed the Messiah. But Luke wants us to see you feel like that kind of sinner, well, you can be a Christian. 
You can be a part of this fellowship that's forgiven and filled with the power of God and changing the world. That's how bad of a sinner you are. You can repent. And repentance is basically two things if you want to take repentance apart. Peter wants us to see, and Luke wants us to see, that repentance is fundamentally a change of mind, changing your mind, turning around, and it's a change of mind first about yourself. Repentance is changing your mind about yourself. You get a new point of view when you repent, and you, and you begin to see that I, myself, I've offended God when you repent. That's how you change your mind about yourself. You begin to look within yourself and see the God that made me, the God that gave me my clothes and my car and my house, the God that gives me the air in my lungs. I have not loved that God. I have not cared about that God. I have not thanked that God. I have not obeyed that God. And you are cut to the heart. That's how Peter describes it. The Jews were cut to the heart. In, in the Greek, another way to say it is they were stabbed in the heart. They were so convicted by this terrible thing that they were done, they, that they were undone in their hearts. And a great picture of that is in the Gospels. Do you remember the woman in the Gospels? And she's weeping. And repentance sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, it comes with physical tears when you repent and you change your mind about yourself. You physically cry sometimes. That's what this woman did in the Gospels. She, she falls down at Jesus' feet and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her tears. She's undone. She's cut to the heart because she's changed her mind about herself. And she sees herself for the first time in truth. Not the self she imagined herself to be, but she saw her true self. A self that had not loved God, that had not loved her neighbor, and she was broken. Repentance is changing your mind about yourself. But it's more than just feeling guilty, because in repentance you feel guilty in regards to God that made you. And repentance is more than feeling guilty before God and then just wanting to become a better person. If all you've done is felt guilty and then tried to develop new habits in your life, you've never repented. That's not what repentance is. Simply turning from what's bad to turning to try to do good things. Many Christians uh, confuse this with repentance, but that's not what it is fundamentally. Because repentance is changing your mind, not just about yourself, you realize you're a sinner, but it's also changing your mind about God, about who God is. And that's, what, that's the message that the Jews heard from Peter. Peter had said that this Jesus is the one that God had sent. When you think of God, I want you to remember that God had sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to die. He sent him to rise from the dead. Repentance is changing your mind about who God is. That even though you were a sinner, God sent Jesus to pay the price so that you could be forgiven. And repentance is turning away from that old point of view to this new point of view about myself and about who God is, and then having a new loyalty to who Jesus is. And I read in the newspapers the other day, some of you I bet have heard about this, in Alaska, there's been reports of Russians defecting into Alaska, you know, because they're close together. You only realize this when you play Risk, by the way, the game Risk, that they're close. But people have been defecting into Alaska and they want a new country and they want new laws and they want a new citizenship because they don't like being Russian right now. This is what repentance is. 
It is leaving the old kingdom behind. It's leaving a kingdom of darkness behind. It's saying, I don't want to be a citizen of this kingdom anymore. A a kingdom that's centered around myself and everything that I want. I don't want to live there anymore. I want a new kingdom. I want a new country where Jesus is king, where he died on the cross, where he rose from the dead, where he's promised to forgive me and give me the spirit. And that's what baptism is all about. When you defect and go into a new country, you get a new ID card. You can get a new driver's license eventually, I think. I've never defected, but... You get a new ID card, a new driver's license, and this is what baptism is like. It's it's a new ID card that identifies you as someone who's been adopted into God's family. You're not an orphan. Baptism says you've turned. You're in a new country. You've been redeemed by the Messiah. Your sins are forgiven. The power of God's been poured out into your life. That's what baptism, your new ID card says. You have the Holy Spirit, Father and the Son and the Spirit. And this is the salvation that we grab hold of when we turn away from this old point of view to to a new faith and trust about who God is. Where we turn our backs on our old way of life. And there is no salvation without repentance. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he's Hindu. And my Hindu friend, he's very capable, he's very smart, and he knows some things about Jesus. And I was talking to him about Jesus. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. My Hindu friend said that. And I said, well, do you follow him? And he said, yes, I do follow him. And he said, do you think he's, uh, I mean, do you worship him? Do, do, do you believe that about him? And my Hindu friend said, yes, yes, I do. But I still want to have my old gods. I'm going to incorporate Jesus into my gods. And when he said that, I thought, "What? Well, that's the truth about so many of our neighbors in Huntsville. And my friend is the only one with the courage to say it out loud. Uh, you know, our other neighbors wouldn't say this, but he wants to really tell the truth. That's Christianity without repentance. Where you want to take Jesus and incorporate him in to all the other gods that you worship. And many of us, many people in Huntsville, of course, we don't bow down to literal idols. Not that kind of thing. But, you know, Christianity without repentance says, yes, I want Jesus and I'll go to church. And I think Jesus is very important and I think the Bible is important. But don't touch my career. It's mine. Or, Jesus, you have no say about what I look at on the internet. That's mine. It's my time. You don't have any say about what I do with my time or my money. It's mine. That's Christianity with no repentance. And Peter says, that's not really Christianity at all. You have to turn. You have to change your point of view. And friends, if you want to repent, this is the kind of thing you have to pray. Lord, I want to renounce my other gods. I want to renounce all these things. I've, I've turned all these good things in my life into God things. And I've functionally bowed down and made them my everything. I want to turn away from that life, Lord. I want to turn away from self-centeredness. I want to turn away from self-worship. A life all about me. And I want to turn to you, Jesus, the Messiah. And when you do that, when you turn, when you turn to Jesus, when you ask him to give you a new loyalty in your life, to follow him and obey him, you know what you realize then is that even that was a gift from God. 
Even your turning to Jesus, you could have never done it if he hadn't helped you and empowered you to do it. And that's so important because I think many people feel like repentance is impossible. Some of you might feel like these sins in your life, you want to turn away from them. But, you know, the walk of our private lives feels pretty desperate a lot of the times. Our private lives do. And we're discouraged and we, you know, we droop and we seek relief somewhere. And if you feel like repentance is impossible, by the way, that's the experience of addiction. And every sin, all the movements of our flesh have patterns of addiction in them. That's just to be human. And if you feel like repentance is impossible for you, what I would say to you is that, friend, repentance is impossible for everybody. You can clean your life up a little bit. Like you might be able to get sober and never repent. That is possible. But to turn away from your old country, to to say, I want to leave it all behind. And I want to be a citizen of God's kingdom. That is impossible without Jesus helping you to do it. God's kingdom is for the weak and for the helpless. Because it's hard for me to say this without getting emotional about it. Because King Jesus is strong. He's so strong. So if you feel like repentance is impossible for you, go to Jesus and tell him that. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah. And I want to turn away from this life, but it just feels impossible. Would you please help me to do that? And would you put Christians in my life that can help me to turn away? We all desperately need Jesus and each other to help us to leave that old life behind, to obey the laws of our Savior instead of just human laws. We need his help. We need the help of the body of Christ. And because repentance is vital, you cannot make it to heaven without repenting. It is easy for us to get obsessed with our repentance. And we look within ourselves and we see, I I just don't repent like I know I should. Peter says that they were cut to the heart. The Jews were convicted. And I don't feel cut to the heart by my sin so often. They don't stab at me. I don't cry about my sin. Can I still be a Christian? And what I would say to you, that this is what I, I want you to say to yourself, is that Jesus is the Messiah. Your repentance is not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. You were baptized, if you were baptized, into the name of Jesus Christ. You were not baptized in the name of your own repentance. Because King Jesus is a merciful and a kind king. And he accepts faith as small as a mustard seed, Jesus says. Not the strength of your faith, it's the strength of your king. And he accepts repentance as small as a mustard seed. When it's sincere, let's turn to him together this morning. Would you turn with me? Let's turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the joy 
the joy of leaving behind a life of, of sin and sorrow and misery. Jesus, we long to be convicted of our sins the way that these Jews were. We long to feel cut to the heart by the ways that we still don't love you and love each other. So we pray that you would bring conviction in our lives. Oh, the joy to, to turn to you, a merciful and kind king, to be baptized in your name, to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would bring repentance, not just for us, but for our neighbors. We pray that you would make them curious about their lives. Help them to see that they may live in the same room as God, you who made heaven and earth, but that their hearts are far from you. Turn our hearts back towards you, Lord Jesus. Not just us, but all of Huntsville and the whole world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.